0: Hello friends, my name is Emily McGinley, and I serve as the executive pastor at Urban Village Church in Chicago. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers. It is good to be with you. Our passage for today comes from John chapter 12, verses one through eight. Listen for what God is saying to you. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus whom Jesus had raised from the dead, Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three-quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained, This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, Leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to lean into and incline our ear toward what it is that your spirit might be whispering to us today. And so I pray that uh, as I um, offer a word of reflection for uh, what it is that you might have to say and what your scripture might be speaking into our lives today, I ask that you would speak through me, uh, because of me and in spite of me, that you would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds and help us to be present, fully present, for what it is that you have to say. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Last week, I had received an email from someone who worked with the Center for Radical Innovation for Social Change at the University of Chicago, an initiative started by Steve Levitt, the author of Freakonomics. He explained, we are focused on tackling big social problems with an unconventional approach. And we want to talk directly with church leaders to see the innovative ways that they serve their communities and potentially share those innovations with others. Now, of course, I said yes. And the conversation was interesting, not only for taking time to reflect about the ways that our church has made an impact on our city, but to pull back the lens even further and think about the broader role that the church plays in our world. One of these roles is about bringing people together and creating connections. And this is no small thing, especially in this day and age. Even before the pandemic, there were plenty of ways to feel lonely. Whether it has been the alienation that many of us feel uh, in our own civic identities with the rise of an increasingly hostile political climate, doing more and more of our shopping, banking, and correspondence online to the point that human interactions began to feel exhausting or the displacement of friends and loved ones through the relentless demands of capitalism. Our society, our relationships, our sense of connection to a broader community has been fragmented and disfigured. We crave the benefits of community, but we resist what it requires of us. We want connection, but do, we don't want the friction that comes along with actual human relationships. We desire to be surprised by joy, but are unwilling to be steadfast in the times when relationships require just showing up with regularity. In other words, we only want the highlight reel when the reality is that the highlights are only highlights because they exist in contrast with lowlights. And so how do churches, or rather Christian communities, factor into this socially bleak landscape, especially since we are also fighting this disease? Well, I reflected with my conversation partner. It seems like churches, and maybe other religious communities too, are one of the few public spaces where folks can cross paths with people they are unlikely to meet in any other place of life. Churches that are outward facing like ours try to create those kinds of spaces when we've made the effort to take that experience beyond our walls. Whether it's a family pride parade in the western suburbs, a trunk or treat on the south side, or a table at the local farmer's market, even in the midst of a pandemic, we have sought to find ways to bring our neighbors and church community together. Because if Jesus is the beating heart of our existence, our soul is found in the richness of time spent together through thick and thin with every revolution of misunderstanding and reconciliation. The fabric of our shared life is comprised of very thin and often quite fragile threads, threads woven over time and with patience to create a relational fabric made strong because of their number, not because of their individual strength. If there's anything we've learned over our years of adulting, it's that thread count matters. It matters for sheets and it matters for community, whether that's here in this space or 2,000 years ago around a dinner table. Per usual, Martha made sure that everyone had everything they needed and Lazarus dined with them, which was no small thing given the fact that the household had erupted in grief at his recent death and then joy at his resurrection. Talk about emotional whiplash. The room was rich overflowing with love and gratitude at the miracle of Lazarus among this them. And this, this overflow found its expression in Mary, the soulful one in the group, as she took what was probably her most treasured possession and poured its costly contents over the feet of their beloved teacher, Jesus. Everyone was enthralled and everyone understood. Her actions were the language that expressed what everyone was feeling. Everyone, except, of course, Judas. Now, our author here makes no attempt to tell us exactly what he thinks of Judas. Um, although it might be helpful to remember that the Gospels were written well after Jesus had died. The earliest Gospel written was Mark, which was authored about seventy years after Jesus had died. And considering healthcare in the Roman Empire, that's at least two generations removed from the actual events. And at that point, Judas's reputation as a lowdown, good-for-nothing, dirty, rotten scoundrel was pretty well cemented. But well. I have a bit of a soft spot for Judas, which might raise some questions for you (laughs) about me. Uh, But one of the reasons for this is that I believe he had convinced himself that nothing was worthy if it didn't have concrete value attached to it. Now, as the child of an immigrant who grew up as a refugee, I understand this worldview. If you can't eat it, live in it, pay a bill with it, or use it to get you somewhere else, it probably isn't worth your time. It's a practical and often necessary way of moving through the world. And we can do all kinds of mental gymnastics to justify our own actions, even when they violate violate these principles, which is how Judas can spend money from the common purse without feeling the need to tell anyone. So because Judas has limited himself to only what can be quantified, measured, standardized, and capitalized, what he sees being poured out is not a display of intense and gorgeous love, but a year's salary. And with the parting of his lips, he not only shatters the power of that moment, he cuts down a sister in front of everyone gathered and transforms her from a poetic mouthpiece to an absurd, foolish, and frivolous woman who has wasted precious resources. Her cheeks were already on fire by the time Jesus cuts Judas off. It didn't matter that Jesus told him to back off or explained and clarify, clarified that it was in her possession for exactly this moment, the damage was done. She was ashamed. And now everyone, in spite of how they were feeling just a few moments earlier, everyone looked at her through the lens of Judas' judgment. Now, if you were to ask me, I'd say stealing from the common purse pales in comparison to this kind of humiliation. Lay off, Jesus says. You always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And he says this not to dismiss the poor, but to help, help them pull back the lens and understand the bigger picture of what is happening in this moment of what will happen over the next couple of weeks. They don't know it, they can't see it, but if they allowed themselves, they might understand it. They had just a few moments earlier. Judas had lost sight of the bigger picture. He couldn't see the ways that others were essential to its completion, and he understood his own contribution on such narrowly defined terms, he never allowed himself to be open to the possibility a possibility that he couldn't see. And because of the kingdom because the kingdom of God can only draw near when we give ourselves over to what can't yet be seen. Judas had painted himself into a lonely, bleak and faithless corner. The apostle Paul would later explain to new Christians, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Judas had lost his capacity to have any conviction for the things he couldn't see, which is especially sad because he probably needed the, it the most. Over the last 18 months, for many of us, our sense of abundance and our ability to grasp the bigger picture of God's activity and intentions have been put to t- the test in nearly every way. Just one year ago, we were popping toms like Tic Tacs and waiting for election results. At the same time, we were waiting and wondering how long it would be before a viable COVID vaccine was developed. And here we are today. Our children are finally being vaccinated. A lot, a lot has happened in a year. And as we gather again, as Urban Village Church, we are relearning how to be together, how to be community. It was hard enough in normal times, but really what is normal anymore to grasp the whole picture of what God is doing all the more now in the wake of so much fragmentation and disconnect. It is easy to paint ourselves into a corner and limit your imaginations to only what can be seen. Judas did not have the conviction of anything he couldn't observe for himself. And so his spiritual imagination atrophied and right along with it went his capacity for an abundant worldview And along with that went his sense of generosity, both relationally and financially. He just couldn't grasp the bigger picture of what God was doing, the pieces of a puzzle made whole. And so he settled for only what could be measured, quantified, and in short time, sold to the highest bidder. We live in a world where productivity outcomes too often determine our worth, and to be fair, it's not like these things don't matter to Jesus at all. When he went and sent his disciples out two by two in order to share God's message of wholeness of life for all, he told them that if folks don't respond, they should shake the dust off their feet and keep it moving. But even in this instance, in this example, it is less about productivity so much as it is about stewardship. Stewardship of their time, their energy, and their effort. And it wasn't so much about efficiency as it was about, as our transforming values put it, an abundant worldview that uses resources responsibly. Now, by one set of standards, capitalistic, extractionist standards, Jesus might at times be seen as wasteful. But by another set of standards, kingdom shaped and abundance-oriented, it's perfectly understandable because God's economy is less about dollars and cents than it is about gifts and graces. And, God's currency isn't driven by market forces, but by gift-giving sources, gifts offered and given freely, not only out of a place of gratitude and trust, but also hope and a belief that we can live in a world where connections and communities trump transactions. This is the bigger picture that Jesus was pointing Judas and everyone in that room toward as they pondered the value of a jar of perfume and the worth of a woman who poured it. Everyone struggled to capture that vision, but Judas had rejected it altogether, even though he was the first among them when it came to to needing it. It is so easy to fall into this trap. It feels safer, but it also feels lifeless. God's people are meant for more than this. You, you, dear listener, are meant for more than this. As we move through this month, I invite you to reflect on how you can add a piece to the UVC puzzle. Over the course of the pandemic, many of us have gotten into puzzles. We put together a few of our own, and I even joined a Facebook puzzle group. These were desperate times. (laughs) And the thing about puzzles though, is that every piece matters. Even a thousand piece puzzle matters. Each one, each puzzle piece matters. It's not enough if you've got 999. My neighbors put together a thousand-piece Star Wars puzzle, and you can't even imagine the frustration and anger they felt when they realized that they had lost a piece, likely eaten by a dog or a toddler. They looked in every nook and cranny, but they never found it. And even though they had put together all 999 pieces and the picture was clear, there was this infuriating sense of incompletion because of that one piece. One stupid black piece that would complete Darth Vader's cape. Every piece of the puzzle matters, no matter how insignificant it may seem on its own. And So how will you add your piece and be part of the bigger thing that God is creating among us? How will you be part of God's economy of gifts and graces, offering your gifts to be part of the bigger thing that God is seeking to do among us and through us as a whole? While our focus is especially on what kind of faithful financial commitment you can make for 2022, I invite you and maybe even challenge you to think about that and even more. These are strange and challenging times. And we've developed habits that for our own physical health have kept us apart. But today, we are reminded that Jesus shows us that there can be so much more than what is. We are finding our way back to healing and togetherness, but in order to do so, We must open our spiritual imaginations. You must open your spiritual imagination to envision what is not yet a reality. And when you add your contributions in finances as well as participation, you will not only find yourself surprised by hope, but infused with joy as the bigger picture of God's work in the world, at UVC and through UVC begins to emerge and it will emerge. But you won't be able to partake in the richness of what is happening if you never join your peace with those that others bring. You will live with fragmented understanding, an incomplete experience, and a diminished spiritual imagination. Don't limit yourself to just your one piece, and don't paint yourself into a corner that reduces your spiritual imagination to only what can be seen, counted, measured, and touched. There is so much more beyond this moment, beyond what you have seen and experienced. Will you open yourself to it? Will you open yourself to it? Open yourself to what you can't yet see, but what God is inviting you toward a way of being that is kingdom-shaped and abundance-oriented for this community here at Urban Village, and for a world that hungers and thirsts for a spiritual imagination that enables us to see beyond what is toward what is possible. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you grant us access to a spiritual imagination that helps us to see more than what is. And so help us not only to see it, but to live toward it to make decisions commitments actions that help enact and bring about your kingdom closer here on earth grant us encouragement when we feel despondent hope when we feel despair trust when we are in doubt and help us not only to do these things as individual followers of Jesus, but as a community committed to enacting and bringing about this kingdom together. I pray, God, that you would challenge each person hearing this sermon to think, and not only think, but then act on living toward that kingdom come. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, who shows us what thy kingdom come looks like. In his name we pray. Amen.